Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special preview episode of Reading v Brentford, I'm delighted to be joined by Reading fan and a fully paid up member of the Bees Analytical crew, James Earnshaw. James, how are you doing? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, good. Thanks, you? Yeah, really good, mate. Really good. Yeah, yeah. As I said, just thanks for coming on. Um, looking forward to diving into Reading. Uh, how are you feeling about playing this match? Are you uh, are you looking forward to it or are you um, a bit apprehensive? I know we've beaten you a few times in the past. Yeah, uh, with the, the choice of friends I have, um, playing Brentford is always an interesting match. Uh, not always the most enjoyable, but it's something <laughs> I've now come to just accept. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Okay, um, James, just before we get into it, do you want to uh, just explain some of the bits you do for Bees Analytica and what you've been up to and what you're trying to do on that podcast? Uh, yeah, so I'm a uh, third-year journalism student at University of Derby, um, and then me and obviously Jacob Newman, my friend, who is Bees Analytica, mm-hmm. uh, and another mate who um, goes to University of Reading, have just kind of teamed up to do a podcast um, on his Brentford channel. It's not; it's about the whole championship, not just Brentford. Um, he comes across it more from the kind of analytics side. I'm more the kind of writing and the, the journalism aspect, and my mate is more the finance side. So we'd like to think we've got all aspects covered. But it's just three mates having a chat about the championship. Mm, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, some great interviews on there. Um, yeah, you've been on yourself uh, a few times, haven't you? I, I have chipped in a little bit, yeah. I've chipped in. <laughs> but yeah, some great interviews. The best ones are the ones I'm not on. Um, the Sam Saunders <laughs> one was great. Uh, <laughs> Very, uh, great interview with um, Charlie McDonald's as well. So yeah, just um, we said it when Jake came on as well. Any, any, just go and check it out. There's some great stuff on there, and you'll definitely enjoy it. I reckon we just get straight into Reading then. Let's do it. Mm, yep, sounds good. Okay, so James, uh, you sit fourth in the league on 48 points. Um, Defence is looking strong. You've got some of the best attackers in the league. Uh, is it all rosy for the Royals after years of turmoil? <laughs> well, yeah, for now, but. Um... With Reading, you're never, you're never more than five minutes from disaster, really. Um, we've still got FFP kind of lingering over our shoulders. So it does kind of seem like this is the year that if we want to go up and if we want to kind of be able to 
to keep going the way we are in terms of spending, then this has really got to be the year that it pays off after what 14th last year and a couple of 20th place finishes that this could be the year that we sort of do a Wolves or do a Bournemouth and we might actually be able to sort of take advantage of FFP and splash a bit of cash this year. Just before we get it sort of further in, I guess, um, I, I sort of like to talk to uh, start with these and just talk about sort of injuries, rotation and any COVID struggles or, or how um, how the squad's looking. Have you had anything major um, coming into the last few games or coming into this game? Uh, we've had no COVID struggles, thankfully, other than obviously the Brentford game being called off, but that was your end. Um, injuries we've been hit with a lot. Um, Zhao's been out for, obviously he's been back the last few weeks, but he's been out for quite a while over the season. Uh, Liam Moore, the captain's obviously still out. Uh, we've had the likes of Andy Yeardom and Yaku Mate who were both key first-team players that have been out, have just started to come back. So we've had a lot of key injuries over the sort of Christmas period, and we just wanted to kind of hang around in the top six and sort of just keep it in until our squad was fully back when we could sort of kick on. And thankfully, we managed to have done that. Liam Moore should be back in the next couple of weeks. Mate and Yudom have been on the bench the last couple of matches, so it seems like we're finally getting back up to full fitness. We just need to make sure that stays for the next sort of few months and see if we can see it over the line yeah so this is one of those rearranged games are you relieved to be playing it now i know you just said you've got a lot of injuries racking up um would you have rather taken it back then or is is playing it now a bit of a blessing well it's probably a it's probably a blessing because we've had the injuries that we previously had have started to come back now so we are probably looking stronger but there's never a good time to play brentford especially when they're on a 20 game you know unbeaten streak or whatever it is that you know it's going to be one of those games i mean brentford are the one team pre-season that i said like that I didn't want, you know, that I feared. But the rest of the league looked pretty kind of average. And um, you gave us a good a good going over in the first kind of home game. So it's it's going to be a difficult one. But, you know, if we can't beat you now when we're kind of on a bit of a roll, then we've probably got no chance of beating you the rest of the season. So we might as well get, get it over with. Yeah, so let's focus in a bit on Wednesday's game now. So um, uh, the last time we played it finished 3-1 to us um, I, I remember being asked about it and chatting about it and I just described it as like a completely routine win um, we just blitzed you in the first half an hour there were three goals pretty quickly Jensen really early and Bremer had a couple I just remember seeing like lots of static defenders in the box and him ghosting in off the off the flank and um, placing it into the corner it was it just all seemed very easy Um how are you guys going to affect the game differently this time? Are you going to do anything differently? Are you a much more? Are you a different side compared to then? I know um, January was a really good month for you. Actually, you're 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 unbeaten since that defeat to us. Mm. Um, what's changed, and is this going to be a different game? Yeah, well, the, the key with Reading tends to be scoring first. If we score first, we tend to have enough to hang on. If we don't score first, then it can be a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. Um, if previous matches are anything to go by, and obviously you, we were three 0 down at half time. And you kind of let us get back into the game, sort of probably thinking it was, well, the game was over by then, so you could take it a bit easy. I mean, I didn't see the match because I was working, but I kind of kept an eye on it, and it it looked like it, I've heard a lot of it, it was a poor performance from us. Um, so I'm not expecting it to be that easy for you on Wednesday, but you do have the players that can damage. I mean, from what I've heard, you didn't have to play on top of your game on um, Saturday, and you came out winning 4-1. So you're still capable of winning games even if you're not fully at it. So, you know, we've got we've got to be fully at it Wednesday, like we were on Friday against Bournemouth or the week Friday. Um, and if we play like that, we've got a chance. Yeah, I guess you mentioned um, scoring first for Reading and how important that is. And 
yeah, that last game, Jensen getting a really early goal. I think it was on like ten minutes or something like that. It, it, you, yes, you sort of think about keeping it keeping it tight early yeah. on and then attacking Brentford, but conceding that early, it does it. It just puts you on the back foot and then not containing Mbemo for the next sort of twenty minutes. Yeah, we, we've been told we do go a bit sort of. I remember in October at the, at the beginning of our poor run, we uh, lost four two to Bournemouth when we were two 0 up at half time. And uh, the Bournemouth fans are saying that we just played straight into their hands, that we're not always the kind of team that will just sit back and try and kind of just nick it 1-0. We will come out and try and assert ourselves. But the last few games, we haven't really done that. We started slowly against Stoke. Um, and there was a, one of the games before that where it took us a while to get into it. But um, if we can get the first goal, then I'm pretty confident we'll be able to see out at least a draw. So... Um, yeah, that first half, I think, could be pretty critical. Yeah, just looking at it from a defensive aspect, I guess. Uh, we, we scored three past you and it felt like it was really easy. And then if we had needed to, I think there were a couple more goals in there. If the team pushed on a bit further, your your defensive numbers look quite strong. Um, goals conceded isn't really flattering on you, but expected goals conceding is really flattering. Like You're just behind Brentford on some of the models I've seen. Um, is that how, yeah, like, was that was that Brentford game a complete one-off? I, I guess everyone should know you really as quite a strong defensive team now. Like, can you see that happening again? When we hit our poor run, when we lost three or four on the bounce, in what in the space of a week, we went from the first nine games we conceded about one goal. I think one goal in the opening nine. When everyone was saying about how you know we were overperforming and, and xG and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but then when we lost the first game to Coventry, we went went on a run. And we then lost four two and conceded four to Bournemouth. And then we had three three straight three nil losses. So that kind of with one week alone, if you take those kind of nine goals out, you're probably looking at a, a reasonably decent kind of conceded number. So um, the defensive injuries with missing Liam Moore, um, the captain hasn't helped. Um, first choice right back Andy Yeardon being out hasn't helped. But the two youngsters have come in and have really stepped up. And to be fair, I wouldn't drop any of them, any of them now. Um, other than probably one to bring Liam Moore back. But Tom Holmes at right back stepped right in in, in Yeardom's place and he's probably made it his own at the minute. So although we haven't had the first choice defence out, um, we haven't done too badly. And yeah, it's just been that, that one week really that's hit that goals conceded column to make it look a lot worse really than it, than it has been. But yeah, there are goals. If you knocked one early and you kind of keep pressuring rather than sitting back after one or two, then you know there probably will be goals in there for you. Let's look at January briefly. Only just a quick glance because I think it's good to look at form. And I, I said earlier that you're unbeaten since we beat you three one. Um, big wins against Bournemouth. That three one win. Well, yeah, everyone said that Bournemouth were um, Bournemouth played badly, but I mean ultimately you got to make Bournemouth play badly. And I think we were slightly harshly done by I think in the in the press at the end of that for it. Well, you know we had to play well to to make Bournemouth not play bad not play well. You know, it's kind of the chicken of the egg kind of thing. So um, I think we should have got more credit for that win than, than we did ultimately. Yeah, definitely getting credit from my end. Um, but yeah, how um, how dominant you were is probably one of the reasons Tyndall had to go as well. I think everyone could see that you, read, you both supposedly the top of the table teams, like teams going for the playoff spots. And it just looked like one team was actually very good and one team wasn't good. And that stark difference is probably why he he had to go but yeah other standout wins I guess the big 3-0 win against Coventry um, Swansea was a little bit tighter and you're probably lucky to come out of that 
at nil-nil, but you still have to battle to get these results. So um, that could be looked at positive as well. Yeah, well, Swansea was a team hit hard by injuries and um, we didn't have a striker. So we literally went, I, th- I think we went false nine, well, I say false nine. I think we shoved a midfielder up front and it wasn't a false nine. It was basically a 4-3-3. Well, it was basically a single striker, but he wasn't playing up front. You just kind of packed the midfield. Um, so we, we just went there for the nil-nil and some good defending and good goalkeeping ultimately got us the nil-nil. Um, we just didn't want to lose that game with the kind of squad that we had to take there. And it's one of those scores and one of those matches that if you watch it and you, you get what you want out of it, it doesn't look too bad. If we'd gone and with the team we had and we'd lost one or two nil, it wouldn't have been as good to watch. So yeah, that was January. And you, yeah, as you said, seven, seven games unbeaten now, just coming into Feb. Um, you should be, you should be feeling quite confident. Um, Zhao's been one of your standout players and, and probably looking in the top three or four forwards in the division. Centre forwards. Um, how are you feeling about him? Is he is he peaking at the right times, or is he um, is he still up and down and a bit of a highlights player? How would you how would you describe his input? Enigma is the only way anyone I think could ever describe Lucas Zhao. He he goes from one second not looking interested whatsoever, and then the next instant he's dribbling past three players and putting it in the top corner. He is he's been an absolute joy to watch this season, and he's someone that Sheffield Wednesday fans have always said he's got it in him. And he's just never delivered. But he's never been given the chance really at Shepherd Wednesday. He's always been a few games here, twenty minutes here, twenty minutes there, kind of thing. But we've just said, Look, you're our first choice striker, go out and play and he's just been electric. I mean, he's one of the most frustrating players because he doesn't look like he's trying. He's got that kind of attitude where he just wanders around, his head is down a lot of the time. But he's there when it matters and I'd put you know, I'd I'd put my house on him scoring a goal. Um Basically, our chances of going up in the top six is if he stays fit. If he's fit, we'll be in the top six. If he's not fit, we won't be in the top six. So I think it's honestly as simple as that when it comes to Reading this season, in particular. Yeah, he looks pretty instrumental, doesn't he? Yeah, it's more than just goals. It's something that you don't, not everyone sees, but we we change the whole way we play when he's in the team because he can offer so much more off the ball. He holds the ball up so well. He's got incredible feet for someone so big. He. You can literally see the players walk out 10 feet tall when they've got Lucas Jao standing behind them. And then when you see Sam Baldock or George Puskas, they slump. They just instantly, you know, the confidence when Lucas Jao plays is kind of that team is there to win the game. When he's not in the team, that team's there to settle for a point. And that's kind of the difference between getting in the top six and pushing the top two and, and missing out ultimately. So, you know, if, if anyone is going to want to knock Reading out the top six, you've got to crock Lucas Jao. And then you got a chance. Yeah, he's spoken about like Wednesday, um, him not really getting the love and being in and out of the team and having a bit of a rough time. But he's definitely, um, he definitely feels like Reading's number one, and probably a good chance to talk about Paunovic and uh, how he's um, sort of brought him on. Um, you had the the Bowen stuff earlier in the year, and that was all a bit weird, and that got sorted. And then Paunovic has come in. Um, yeah, th- like. He's pretty. He's done a good job. It's, you can't really describe it as any other thing. Like, what's your what's your views on him? Are you are you impressed with what he's delivering? Yeah, I don't think anyone can not be impressed. To, um, to be honest, I think considering it's not even his squad, he came in the day before, the week before the season, so he didn't even he wasn't even at the Medeski for the cup match on the first weekend of the season at Colchester because he was isolating. So the players the week before the season started had to go out to Portugal for a week to meet him for the first time, and then we go on and not win win eight and draw one of the opening nine matches. And you're like, well, what the hell's happened here? He's not brought in a single player of his own. It's, it's all of Mark Bowen's squad. And he's just come in and just 
shaking it about and somehow they're just I mean it shows just how poorly Mark Bowen was doing if the same players are here on the pitch and we just about scraped to 14th losing like the last five after lockdown and now we're comfortably in the top six under this new manager that no one ever heard of before um, I'm always wary after the season Yap Stam had when he first came in about the second the second season for me is always the most important one is because you know Stam came in first year and led us to third and we were one penalty kick off the playoffs off the Premier League and then the year after we come 20th and survive on the last day so you know what's important is what happens after this season wherever this season ends up whether we do somehow you know manage to to win the playoffs and, and go up or if we do lose the playoffs or drop out the playoffs and we rebuild next year I think next season is, is the season where we need to fully judge him and kind of give him his squad to work with and see what he can do but yeah no complaints so far yeah you definitely feel like you're on the up I think last year um uh when we I mean you felt like a strong team last year but you just couldn't put enough results together and then I think games were probably a bit too tight and then you sort of came on the wrong side of them Bulldog played too much Puskas you can never really trust him um I mean he looks like a good player but you just don't feel like he's going to deliver week in, week out, or he's not a twenty-goal he, a season quite... striker, or at least not in the not in the championship. But no, but no. last season was enjoyable. It's one of those. I can't remember the last time Reading had a middle of the road season where you had nothing to really worry about. It's either always looking up at promotion or you're looking over your shoulder at relegation. So it was it was nice to sort of get to January and know that you know you've got. Well, at the time, I was looking forward to some nice away days and you know, going to matches, going to grounds I hadn't been to and just enjoying the day rather than the match. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way with COVID so we couldn't go to the matches. So the result did take a bit more of a kind of front seat. But it was it was nice to... In the end, it was a bit kind of after lockdowns, a bit kind of, you know, dragged on and I was ready for the season to finish really by that point. But it, it was just quite enjoyable just to watch the games as they were and not worry about where we're going to end up. It was a, a nice middle of the road, a nice building block this season yeah I guess the pressure was off wasn't it you never really you felt far too good for relegation but then the playoffs were never really there so you um maybe a season of sort of consolidation and settling and then knowing that the majority of your players are buying into the longer term project that the season after once you got your man in because Panovic must have been targeted fairly early I mean it took him a while to come up you don't know if, if he was the third or fourth choice or I'm not sure about that stuff but um, the building blocks were there, weren't they? As you were saying, uh, and then Bowen finally um, got out of the hot seat and uh, and passed on the keys. Yeah. Well, one one thing we can uh, thank Bowen for is the signing of Josh Laurent, who is possibly one of my favourite Reading players for the last five or six years. I mean, he's just he, his his grin is just like watching the Cheshire Cat play football. But you can just see he's enjoying playing football, and as fans, you just love seeing your players enjoy playing for the team that, that you're supporting. And um, he's been instrumental, considering it's the same squad bar him from last year and probably mostly the year before. It's um, he's been, you know, an incredible unsung hero this year for for nothing as well on a free contract. Yeah, I reckon this is a good time to talk about what Panovic is actually doing on the pitch and uh, and how he's got this team up to up to fourth on the table. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about shapes and systems. I guess from my perspective, I saw um, last year. You, there's a lot of three-five-two. You always had three midfielders, two strikers, and then you had wing backs quite instrumental at getting the ball forward. And I think there was a bit too much of a commitment at times to defending, like having five at the back. Well, we had we had three good 
we had three good centre halves, and he never seemed to work out which ones he wanted because we had Matt Miazga, um, Michael Morrison, Lee, and Moore. And well, from from what we people have heard on the grapevine, he had a falling out with Lee and Moore, um, Mark Bowen, towards the end. And he's um, that's just what what we've heard. And he was um, out of the team a lot towards the end of the season, but um, he just couldn't seem to decide. So he just seemed to go for all three of them for, for most of the season, and it just never really quite worked. He, he did occasionally tinker with one, with two, and then leaving one out, but he just never really seemed to get the right combination. So go through all three, and uh, <laughs> you solve that problem a little bit. Yeah, eventually moving one on, and then you don't have a choice. <laughs> now it is Morrison and more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's quite interesting in your in your shift. I think that three five two, maybe that's why you you couldn't move up higher up the table, or you were always going to be safe for relegation. It three five two is a weird formation. I don't think it's I don't think it's attacking enough, and I don't think it's and it's it is def, it's a defensive formation really. I think that unless you've got really really attacking wide players, and you do have some attacking wide players, but they still have a lot of defensive responsibility, and I think they think defense first. Yeah, I. I... I'd say Mark Bowen was a more defence defence first manager, and ultimately, I think when he came in, he probably just didn't want to, because obviously he came in under a cloud, and everyone thought that he'd hired himself and sacked Gomez before. And I think he just wanted to make sure he didn't take the club down. Pretty much, he always said he was aiming for the playoffs, but I always just he didn't want to be the man that ended up, you know, having a poor season and taking Reading down. So he always went for. We always looked solid, without being inspiring you know we were we were winning a lot of games I mean the last game I ever went to under him was a 3 on win against Birmingham and we looked really good I don't, know, I don't really know how we ended up scoring three and winning 3-1 it's just one of those games where three goals go in but that kind of summed it up in that we didn't really boss games we just ended up scoring two or three goals it was a really confusing time and he's a manager I'm not sure how he's going to be looked back on in sort of five ten years time I guess it depends what happens now with Pounder and if he takes us up, he'll want some of the credit. But uh, I just it was a really weird period, I think, in the in the club. Yeah. So the new system um, is yeah much more rewarding, um, especially in your positioning in the table. So you're you're pretty much exclusively now like this four two three one um, double pivot, Rinomoto and Laurent as the kind of holders, and then an attacking midfielder in front of them, and then. Uh, Ajaria wide and um, Elise's in there, and now Swift's back from injury. It is um, you mentioned Laurent a little bit, like he's he's the one that breaks forward a bit more, and there's a bit of trickery and um, like breaking lines and getting into the box. Whilst Rinomoto is the one that holds a little bit more. How are you? It's not like some teams play a double pivot and it's awful and it's boring to mm. watch, and they don't ever leave the they don't ever leave the edge of their box. But it's not the case with Reading, is it? Yeah, do you want to talk me through that midfield and how they link with the? With the attackers, they're both very similar in that they're both quite well. They're actually both quicker than they look, so they're they're good at kind of nipping in. They don't often make tackles; they just seem to be in the right place to win the ball back. And I love how they always travel in pairs. There's always it's always Laurent and Rinomoto. They're never left kind of one dealing with one or one on two. It's always two on two. They're always in it together. And Sky, whenever we're on Sky, is always talking about that box of Rinomoto, Laurent, Moore, and Morrison normally. And um, I just think the whole centre of that team, the whole spine, is just crucial to to, to Reading this year. And Rinomoto and Laurent are two players. I'm surprised Rinomoto is not getting as much um, sort of a look in at kind of transfers. He's been on the block a few years now, and he's always when he won our Player of the Year two years ago, 
and he's he's always been one of our better performers. And I know over the summer, he's uh, apparently Bielsa's an admirer, and it doesn't surprise me because he's very kind of hustle and bustle, and he'd be good in that kind of all action Leeds team. Um, and he's from up that way as well, so it, it would make a decent signing. But no, I just think the um, they're, they're just key to how we play, and they both look like they're enjoying doing both aspects of the game, which. You always like you always you know you don't want a defensive midfielder and an attacking midfielder. They both love going the box to box plays. It's like when Reading used to have a player called Danny Williams a few years ago who left to go to Huddersfield. He was a player that was always from one box to the other to the other to the other. And they just run and run and run. You just think how the hell are they still standing? But um, no, they're so admir- ad- ad- admirable to watch. Um, yeah, they make this team tick. As a defensive, as a defensive base, just making that square box, it's really hard to get through the centre of the team, and um, you can see that's it makes sense. Like you're doing well on the um, like goals against and shots against numbers, and it's having that base, and and then if you've got a good pressing system in front of that, so you've got Ajaru out on the left, for instance, Alise on his side, um, Zhao working hard through the middle as well, and then whoever's in sort of attacking midfield role behind that. Um, you can see why you're a hard team to break down, and uh, and that's why it just seems so weird looking back how you, we just stunned you into that three nil win early and three nil sort of lead early on because you haven't really that hasn't really happened much and maybe it was just a bit of a blip and uh, you're way past that now and you look yeah the form you're coming into at the moment looks like that's the case. Um, I reckon we can't not do this without talking a little bit about Ajaria coming in off like the left flank or or playing as similar role as to what Ben Rama did for Brentford, um, but. Yeah, whenever I watch Ajari, I'm just always in awe of him. Um, you can go past players as if they're not there. Dalsgaard was twisted around and probably still looking for his shadow from that game back against Reading um, when Ajari just like ghosted the ball past him. Um, is he exciting to watch every week? He's a, he's a Harlem Globetrotter player where if you're going just to watch him play skills with the ball, he's brilliant. But uh, I've noticed a lot recently in the last few games that he slows the game down an awful lot in that you know, he gets. You know, we always move fast up to his point, and then he sort of just slows it and waits. And what he always wants to play the game kind of on his tempo, which is it's frustrating when we've got a bit of momentum and then it kind of stops dead with him. But um, I've always thought a player of his quality. He's shown, he's proved he's got everything. He just needs more goals and assists now. He needs to, you know, because that's what gets your stat. You need stats to to back up. I know he's he's had the most successful dribbles in the league. I think because. You know, all his everything he does with the ball ultimately is a dribble. Um, uh, but I just think he needs more goals and assists to to really push him up into that sort of next band of of attacking midfielders. I know this year has been he's been forced out wide, which probably isn't his best position. He would normally want to be in that ten because um, he's he's not really the quickest. So pushing him out wide, but it's the only way to really fit him, Swift and Lisa into the same team. So he's the one that's got to kind of you know drop and make do one for the take one for the team there but um no he is incredible to watch when he's on form i just just wish he'd make that pass a split second quicker and then kind of pop up to to score goals or get that clinical last pass if he needs it but yeah i mean everyone always does the whole cliche of all oh, he puts an extra 100 people on the gate or whatever you know back in the day he is the kind of player that would put extra people on the gate just to watch him play when he's on song because yeah, and for three and a half million, I think is a steal as well. Yeah, it's interesting playing him from the left, isn't it? And you, you think of his ideal position as being a central number ten, but you wouldn't put Swift out wide though. And they're trying to kind of crowbar them all into the same team. So, 
he's the one that's kind of taken one. Yeah, but coming in off that left, it's quite interesting because that's his starting position. But if you can get him as a left winger and then just coming in on his right foot into the centre. Well, yeah, that is one thing with Pauno is it is a very fluid kind of front four. They always say with Zhao, Elise, Ajari, Swift, Mate, for whoever he's playing for. They do all just kind of switch around anywhere, which um, is a sign of a good team, to be fair, because... You know, you've you got to be good enough to kind of dominate a game to be allowed to be that kind of fluid. You don't see rubbish teams that fluid because yeah, they'd be picked apart. But there's, they're always, when they need to be, they're always in the right position to kind of break something up or get back behind the ball when they need to. Um, but yeah, the, the fluidity definitely helps on the counter. We're a good team to watch on the counter. When we're, when we're one or two up, then we just kind of settle down and then we flick a switch and we get the ball back and that's it. We're up the other end and try and kill the game off we're, we're we're actually an enjoyable team to watch which is the first time for a while that we, we've been there um so hopefully Brentford don't uh don't let you get into the lead and then it become a bit of a basketball match going back and forth you need to keep it tight from the start <laughs> another one of your exciting midfielders uh is Elise I think we should have a little chat about him he's really small diminutive um just really skillful and uh Got an eye for a pass, um, big assist numbers, big chance creation numbers. He, yeah, he's attracting a lot of attention. There's a lot of scouts, I think, watching him and thinking about his next mm-hmm. move. Um, where do you think his best position is? Is he another one that you'd rather him coming from wide to in, or you want to see him behind the striker? He's had some. I know he's had really good games in all different positions, but where do you, where do you see him causing the most damage? Well, I think when he was coming through the youth, um, I remember seeing him a few times. And he was always just a ten, but. Um, Ultimately, Swift is our most creative player and Swift plays where Swift wants to play ultimately and he's still young enough and he's got that bit of speed that he can play out wide and he's probably better at playing that position than Ajaria is. But um, Pauno is being very wary about overplaying Elise. I mean, everyone keeps, he's got the most assists in the league, which still staggers me, to be honest, because he never seems to play a great deal. But he's always kind of flitting in and out of the team. But um, Pano doesn't want to put too much pressure on. He doesn't want his head to get too big. So he just, you know, tactically pulls him out games and gives him a run on the bench every now and then. And um, when you got, we got Mate, who obviously comes in to replace him, and he's a different type of wide player, but probably just as effective, if not more, um, at a certain style. But um, the only comparison I can really make is uh, when Gilfie Sigurdsson broke through at Reading. Uh, the figures are completely different because Sigurdsson got like 20 goals and 10 assists in his first year. And, at least he's not quite hit that, but um, they're sort of in different different positions and different kind of teams. And yeah, at least he's at can be as good as he wants to be. Ultimately, it's it's he's got everything there. He just needs to go to the he needs to be at the right club that's going to nurture him, allow him to play, so he doesn't end up being the next Ravel Morrison that kind of floats around that could have been so much more than he is. You know, it's it's, it's up to him now if he wants to leave and and push on and take what ultimately comes with a big paycheck and go to a big club or is he want to stay down here and work and earn that move by keeping you know progressing in the championship it's it's all down to him now I know he's got a year left on his deal um, maybe 18 months possibly but no no more than that so the ball's going to be in his court coming up as to what he wants to do but um, I think most Reading fans just watching him and enjoying him while they can because I don't think he's going to be around too much longer. Mm, yeah, big things for Elise. You can feel it, can't you? He yeah. seems that that kind of talent. Um, I, I just remember one of his performances, I think it was against QPR, like quite late on. Yeah, he came he off the bench and... on his 19th birthday and just smacked, yeah. smacked one in from like 20 yards. 
he's he's incredibly sure of himself for someone so young and and a lot of people throw cocky around but i don't think he's cocky i think he's he's good but you know he knows he's good rather than being cocky and not having the quality and he still works he works incredibly hard as well so um you know good good luck to him ultimately if you know it's up to him now but he can really go up to the top of the game. Yeah, I think in the last game we um we kept him fairly quiet. I think when he got the ball he was he was closed down really quickly and he was up against Rico Henry, which mm. is it's not really ideal for anyone who wants to who wants to shine. He's still young, he's got a you know, he's got all find ways, doesn't he, when he's that young to kind of assert games. You know, he's he's still only nineteen and thankfully we've got other players that if he can't kind of get into the game that can get into the game. But that's obviously the next step for him is is finding ways to assert his dominance on the match. Um, from such a kind of young age and to start dictating matches, which Gilfie Sigurdsson used to do time and time again before he left us. That's a good look at, I guess, your attack and sort of the players that are pivotal. Um, I reckon another way to look at this is sort of what's not there. I know you had a fairly quiet January window, um, not much going mm. on, not much activity. Like, Where where are the main weaknesses or the spots in this squad? And um, after Jan, where would you say you're weak and could be exposed? It's, it's mainly depth. I think if we put our strongest 11 out, we will beat most teams, I think, in this league. It's just getting that strongest team out week in, week out is the struggle. Um, so we could do with a, another, I think we could do with another left back because we all know Omar Richards is leaving because he's not signing a new deal. Uh, at least that's the latest. You know, Bayern Munich come calling. You don't tend to turn them down. Um, and, it, you know, we haven't got another left back particularly. We've got a kid called Ethan Bristow who's, who's in the academy. So I guess he could play, but he's not someone that, you can necessarily rely on. Uh, we could maybe do with another Rinomoto or Laurent type player because thankfully they've both played every minute of every game. Well, they've played every game. If one of them goes out, we don't really know how we're going to kind of cope. So that could be interesting. And then a, we could do with another striker like Zhao because Zhao is quite often made of you know glass. So he gets injured very easily. Um, and we haven't got another kind of centre-forward striker who could do it all like he does. Bulldog can't play up on his own. Um, Puskas we've not really seen a great deal of this year so it's it's mainly just plugging gaps for if we pick up injuries I think our, our squad and team as a whole is strong enough to, to keep in this top six race it's just whether we can keep them all fit and, and ready for the matches with what is it like seven games in the next 20 games 20 days or something we've got a ridiculous amount of matches coming up um, so it's just all about if we can keep them fit yeah, I think a similar thing to Brentford's gone on. Um, January is a weird window. It's basically for team. It's, it's sort of like a correction window where something's happened and you need to correct something in your squad, or you've made a mistake in the summer and you you're trying to correct that, or or there is something you're really missing. But maybe there isn't anyone out there who would improve your first team that was available. So you have stuck and you just said, "This is it now. We've got youngsters coming through. We should be okay." We were linked with a few. Uh, I know Nieskins Cabano, who's now at Phil- uh, Middlesbrough from Fulham was one that was banded around and um, another guy from um, the MLS was linked but it was just people asked for ridiculous money in the January window Um, so it would mainly be loans and frees and are there loans and frees that would come in and instantly improve you Um, I I don't know I just if anything I would just want a few backup players that kind of solid championship players that you know what you're going to get every week if, if needed um, but none of them were around so you know we go on with the squad we've got and just hope that injuries stay away yeah it's interesting comparing like that attitude maybe to Swansea or someone like that because Swansea I think they had a, like, a core three midfield of um, Corey Smith uh, mm. 
Grimes and Fulton and you thought, gosh, how is this team going to get through? And you're probably similar with Rinomoto and Josh Laurent. And Swansea just went, they brought in so many midfielders. That, there's just so, that, that depth in that central area now looks really, really deep. I, I think Conor Hurahan will fire Swansea up to um, automatic. I just, you just, he's exactly what, you, he's the player I was on about. You know what you're going to get with Conor Hurahan. And he's been it, he's been there and done it in the championship. And, you don't need bedding in period or anything because he just, you know, you know what you're going to get with him. And I think that's the kind of player Reading would have needed. Obviously, I don't think we needed to bring in anyone that would necessarily start like Hurahan is a starting midfield, but someone that could come in if required. But, you know, it'll be all right. We had enough injuries in the first half of the year. Hopefully we've used them all up. We have none left second half of the year. Yeah, just, um, I guess, on the holes as well. Like, you're, if anything does happen to Rinomoto or, or Josh... Um, John Swift can move back there, can't he? He can like play in that deeper role, and then you've got another attacking option ahead that you can you can fill in. Samedo's there, my tech. There's yeah. a, there's other options to go ahead. Yeah, of him, when isn't we've, I think we've what we've lacked the most is a replacement for Zhao when he's been out. We had a few times where we shoved Samedo or Aluko in that role, and it's been like a sort of false nine, but it, it just doesn't work. They're just not that kind of, you know, they're not messy ultimately, and you can't just shove Messi in the, you can't just shove Samedo in the false nine and hope that. He comes up with a goal or something. Um, Zhao is, is just the main one where, as I said, if Zhao's fit, we go up, or, or at least we get in the top six. If he's not, then I seriously think we could struggle in terms of scoring enough goals just to stay up there and win matches. But hopefully that's not a scenario we have to worry about, but can never be too sure. Okay, what's um, what's impressed you most about Reading this year? Oof, uh, probably... Probably just to kind of feel around the place. The whole club has just seemed to have a big kind of boost. I mean, we, we've been on a bit of a lull the last few years, kind of lurching from one twentieth to another. And um, considering there's no fans sort of around the place, it must have been tough, I imagine, for the players to sort of G themselves up every single week. But they seem to be doing it great in that Reading fans probably don't even need to go back. We're probably better when we're not there. So, um, yeah, I, I just think, the way the club have managed to sort of pull out this sort of attitude from, because it wasn't there the last couple of years, and we've turned into a right team now that can go out and, you know, can, can grind games out, which we never used to be able to do, but we can turn it on and we can style games and style teams out. Um, we just, we're more than one dimensional now. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch happen from afar, obviously not being as close as you normally would. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just been a joy to watch this season. Uh, who needs to perform to make Reading tick and uh, and see Brentford off and win the game? We need to make sure we need a, a defence that's strong. We need clean sheets or at least you know concede one, and then we need um, Zhao to be on it and either create something out of nothing or one of the three behind Zhao to to create something. Uh, I, I still haven't thought through. It can go a number of ways. The, the game it can be an open game where it's like three two. Four to four to uh, you know there's chances and it's just who takes it, who takes the most of them, or it could be quite a kind of edgy, kind of who can score out of Tony and and Zhao kind of thing, whether everyone else keeps it tight and it's down to the quality of the two front men. Uh, it can go one of two ways and it's going to be a really interesting watch. Um, to be fair, and if we can keep if we can just keep keep a clean sheet as long as possible and 
and sort of the last half hour it can you know anyone's game really uh, you briefly mentioned tony then uh who are you most fearful of at brentford yeah i think tony's a plus re- former reading players always score against reading so Tariq foster is bound to have some sort of impact on on the game whether that be an assist or whether he scores um but no i just think a bit like reading is that your your best aspect is you as a team and then we also got a clinical striker who's good at taking chances but when you know we're better, we're better than some of our parts, kind of thing, where the whole team is, it's a team aspect rather than winning it with superstars. Um, obviously, the front three, but everyone probably says that about Brentford. I've always been a fan of Rico Henry since I saw him play for Walsall against Reading in the FA Cup under Dean Smith. Um, so he's always caught the eye. But it's just been interesting to watch Brentford develop since you've come up, sort of year on year. You've, you've not really had that settling in season where you kind of come 15th. You've always just kind of usurped us and been up there and we've been looking up at you ever since kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting watch and eventually I think it'll end in, in promotion, whether it be this year or, or definitely next year. You're in a safe space, mate. So uh, where do you think you're going to finish this year? Do you think you're do you think you're playoffs or do you think there's a strong possibility of that or secret eyes on the top two? No, nah, top two... Uh, if we'd have beaten Stoke, I think top two could have been on if we then went on to beat you. Um, no, I, I think I think we'll get fourth or fifth, um, and then obviously fourth or fifth doesn't really matter. You're playing the same team. Whoever comes above will blow you. Um, we don't win playoffs, so whether we lose in the in the semis or lose in the final, either way, um, I can't see us going up this year. And then it's just rebuilding for next year. The joy carries on. Finally, we briefly touched on it, I guess. Um, talking about the sort of start of the game, I don't like to do a score prediction because there's just there's thousands of score <laughs> predictions, uh, thousands of events like it can finish in. Um, what do you think, it, what sort of style of game do you think it's going to be? You, you touched on it a bit then. Like, Do you think it's going to be you sitting deep or do you think you're going to go and try and go toe for toe for Brentford or do you think you're going to try and hit Zhao Long and let him get up against Pinnock or Madspec Sorensen? Mm. What do you think? It's going to be an interesting one. We, uh, I think it's probably going to be more like the Bournemouth one than, than any of the other ones. So we'll probably not go gung-ho, but we'll go for it more so than sitting back. Because the thing with Brentford is they can still pick you off even if you do sit back kind of thing. So I think it's there's, I think both teams will score. That There's going to be goals in it. Uh, ultimately, I think it, it comes down to who can outscore at a Zhao or Tony. You know, if you give them both chances, they'll both take 99% of their chances. So it's whether it'll be 2-1, 3-2, 4-2, 4-2 you know, even higher if someone scores that early on. Uh, I, I can't see us winning, mainly because I, I don't ever think Brentford will beat Reading. You know, I've, I've been to your place twice and in that times I've watched us at home and I think we've won one, potentially two at that. So, um, no, it's gonna. I think it'll be a good game to watch, especially for the neutral. But um, no, if I go into games thinking we'll lose and we win, it's always happy days. So that's how I try and approach every game. Don't get too disappointed if you expect to lose and you don't. So uh, no, I think it'll be a good, a good game though. I, I look forward to watching. Yeah. So you're not positive on the result, but the the spectacle you're um, you're looking forward to. Yeah, I, I very rarely get um, too optimistic about the result. I've been stung too many times for that now. So. Uh, Expect the worst and hope for the best is the, uh, <laughs> the mantra that I try and go into most Reading matches with. The club motto. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant stuff, mate. 
Um, James, yeah, that was absolutely awesome. Thank you very much for for chatting to us. James, whereabouts can um, whereabouts can people find you online? Um, what's your what's your account? Uh, I'm uh, James Earnshaw ten on Twitter, um, and then obviously at Bees Analytica uh, on the podcast. Yeah, great stuff. So yeah, everyone, be sure to be sure to check that out. If you you should know about the Bees Analytica account now, it's not just a Brentford account; it is a wider EFL account. Um, uh, lots of good writing, lots of uh, good uh, visuals and um, some good analysis as well so yeah make sure you check it out um uh just a bit of housekeeping after saying thanks again to james um follow bees tactical on twitter or search for bees tactical on substack or to catch up with the blogs you can also support bees tactical in the podcast on the patreon account um i think subscribing is like the cost of a coffee a month or something like that um yeah uh search bees tactical wherever you search for stuff um Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Leave us some reviews and we'll catch you again next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.